Today's podcast is sponsored by Tennessee Craft Beer Magazine. It's like cracking open your favorite craft brew. Yes, it is, DJ. Just like cracking open your favorite craft brew. And reading the can at the same time, but you get more information. A lot more information because they go in depth into stories and things about what's happening in Tennessee that you normally don't get to hear and don't normally don't get to see if you're not from that region. From Memphis to Nashville to East Tennessee. Yeah, it's all there. It's like, it's like uh, you open the magazine, it's like cracking a beer open from each part of the state. That's right. You can find them online at tncraftbeermag.com. There you'll find digital copies of their magazine along with a statewide brewery map, events calendar, and you can even subscribe to their print edition from their website. Print like the my dad's New York Times? Exactly like your dad's New York Times, but about beer. Sign me up. <laughs> All right, DJ, we will do that. Tennessee Craft Beer Magazine. Again, find them online at tncraftbeermag.com. Well, hey guys, this is Chris Hill. This is DJ Loop. And um, we're here today at Black Abbey in Nashville with Carl Meyer. Carl, thanks for joining us today. No problem. Glad uh, to have you all here. Yeah, and thank you for uh, having us amidst the craziness of everything going on. You guys are clearly popular and busy right now. Uh, yeah, we had to pivot a little bit. For those of you listening at home, uh, we had to uh, move from where we expected to have the podcast out in the middle of the tap room today uh, to being stuffed in the corner of the office uh, because we have a, uh, we got a food truck here today that was on a TV show called Shark Tank, uh, Cousins' oh. Main Lobster Food Truck. Mm. I love uh, taking a picture of this. My wife um, is adamant watcher that show. I didn't know it was on Shark Tank. So. And I'll no. tell you what, like these guys, they've just figured it out. They're real corporate. Everything is sewn up. The food's always the same. It's really good. But man, they're serving $17 lobster rolls out of a truck. Whoa. And people are lining up out there to get them. Wow. It's crazy. Wow. But who'd have thunk it? Yeah, that's awesome, though. That's really... Yeah. Sounds the first really time they were here uh, was in the middle of July. We timed it. They had a 70-minute wait all day until they ran out of food. They were here for five hours. 70-minute wait. If, and it was in July, and we can't have beer outside. So people went out there. They got in line. They stood there for 70 minutes to pay $17 for a lobster roll without any beer. I mean, if you went to a fancy restaurant and they told you it was a 75-minute wait and you couldn't wait at the bar, you instead had to stand in the boiler room, I wouldn't do it. But yeah. people did it um, for that lobster, man. It's crazy. Well, and they came in and bought your beer afterwards. They came in and bought some beer. It was, it was busy. It was fun. Good thing is they got really hot before that, and they were really thirsty by the time they came in. Exactly, <laughs> yes. By the time they came in, they were so dehydrated, they had no choice. They bought three or four beers. There My first go. response to that was like, well, you can drink a lot of beer in 70 minutes, but now they had to wait with no beer. Why can't you have a beer outside? Not permitted for it. Not permitted for it? Okay. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. it's another beer permit because it's state Tennessee, right? It's, yes. <laughs> grumble, grumble permits government. Um, yeah, grumble. exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, Carl, um, again, thank you for joining us today. What I would love to do is just talk to you about the history of Black Abbey, mm -hmm. where you all got started, um, how Black Abbey came to be for you, and um, yeah, just everything behind that. Sure. We uh, started just a couple of homebrewers um, 
I grew up in upstate New York. Uh, my wife uh, and I went to college together. Um, lived in Stanford, Connecticut for a little while. I was working in Manhattan, and uh, she had a job uh, at a compensation consulting firm, but was volunteering at a hospital on the side, and uh, decided she really liked that. And so she said, "I want to. I want to find a place where I want to go into nursing. I'd like to be a nurse." Okay. And so she researched a bunch of programs at universities around the country uh, that did what they call a bridge program, where you, um, you start with a non-nursing background, and over a span of time, you get your degree in Master's of Science in Nursing. So uh, Vanderbilt was one of those places, and she decided she wanted to go there. I said, where's that? And she said, it's in Nashville, and I was about done with Manhattan. And so we moved, to New York, or we moved from New York to Nashville. So I was a trailing spouse. Um, okay. She started college, uh, getting her master's degree. I had a job, but uh, you know, on the weekends and whatnot, I was bored, and she had to study. So uh, she encouraged me to join a homebrew club, uh, which I did. Uh, homebrew club met at a brew pub that is now gone called Bosco's. Uh, the okay. pub was called Music City Brewers, or the uh, club was Music City Brewers. And so while I was there, uh, that's where I met. Uh, well, I started at Music City Brewers, and. Uh, it's just funny how times have changed. Bosco's uh, used to be able to smoke in there. And, like, I'm beer, I'm not super beer nerdy, but I'm nerdy enough that if I can't smell beer because of the smell of smoke, that I don't like it. Mm. And so um, there were several other people who were in that club that were sort of like-minded, and we thought, you know, let's, let's, let's meet somewhere else. We'll meet at somebody's house. And so we started meeting at people's houses, and... Uh, then we started our own club called the Antioch Sudsuckers, uh, or ASS for short. Um, and so uh, that's where I met my partners was in the Antioch Sudsuckers. And so, uh, and then we got super competitive because we wanted to compete with the Music City Brewers in competitions. And so we started sending beer uh, uh, to competitions all over the country. And then in 2009, uh, we won a silver medal in uh, the National Homebrew Competition, which is the biggest homebrew competition in the world, wow. uh, with the Belgian-style Abbey Ale. And so that was in 2009, and then we decided we should start writing a business plan. So we started writing a business plan in 2009. Uh, we incorporated in 2011. Uh, 2013, we found this space, moved in in March, started construction, brewed our first batch August, beer out the door in September. Um, the, the backstory on the, on the name is, you know, you start in 2009, you start writing a business plan where you're like, well, you do what you do, you know, you get the legal pad out and you write down your list of options and pros and cons. And <clears throat> we had a lot of different ideas, but none of them were sticking to the wall. Mm. And so uh, around Halloween, uh, I have three small, well, they're not so small anymore, but I at the time had three small kids. And so uh, the kids would come out and help me mash in in the driveway in, in the afternoon. And then I'd help put the kids to bed. And then I'd go back outside and I'd brew. And so I'd probably do that two or three times over the course of any given week. Mm. Um, and so it was a Saturday night. It was a, around Halloween. And I was brewing outside. It was late at night. I was cleaning stuff up. We were struggling with the name. And I was like, oh, I got to church tomorrow. It's Sunday. It's Reformation Sunday. Am I supposed to wear red? I can't remember. It's Luther. Luther was a monk. Wasn't he a monk? And so now I'm on Wikipedia researching Luther, right? And so Martin Luther... Um, 95 theses, you know, excommunicated. He goes into hiding. While he's in hiding, uh, he's under protection of this sort of feudal lord uh, who recognizes he's harboring this political fugitive uh, who's not in very good health. Uh, they think now he probably had Crohn's, Luther, mm. not his um, protector. But mm. so uh, 
he's like, I can't let this guy croak on my watch. Like, that's going to look bad. So uh, I don't know anything about doctoring, but I do know that if I don't feel good, my wife takes care of me, so we need to find this guy a wife. Uh, so they bust a nun out of a convent to marry Luther. Uh, Catherine von Bora was her name. And so uh, as a wedding gift, Luther's protector gives them the monastery where Luther became a monk to begin with, wrote the 95 Theses. So the two of them move into the same monastery where he belonged as a brother. She exercises the brewery rights there, says the reason you're so sick is you drink too much wine. You're German, after all, you should be drinking beer. And they kick the monks out, start making beer in this monastery, and she essentially finances the Protestant Reformation out of a brewery where Luther starts it, right? So that monastery is called the Black Cloister. So I start, you know, texting my business partners at, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, I've got it. This is it. You know, Black Cloister is it. And the next morning, John gets up, and he reads these, like, series of text messages, and he writes back, drink three beers and try to say cloister. <laughs> That's great. And so uh, given the fact that at the time we were, we were very interested in Belgian-style beers, who were making a lot of Belgian-style stuff, loved Abbey Ales, and uh, so we, Cloister and Abbey are very similar connectivity words, uh-huh. and so we said, well, let's, let's swap out Cloister and move in Abbey, because that gives us a lot more ground under which to work, if that makes sense. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. So, so you get, um, so, so you've got that, you've got the name, you start brewing. What was your focus with, uh, the beer that you were brewing then? Well, at the, the very beginning of, um, the company, when we won that silver medal with a, you know, Belgian dark strong, um, we always had an affinity to that sort of Belgian-style stuff. But the uh-huh. thing that I really like about the Belgian-style breweries is that they were not bound by uh, convention, if you will. Uh, you know, the Belgian farmhouse breweries brewed what they made because those were the ingredients that were available to them. And so the stylistic guidelines that everybody holds so dear and close weren't necessarily applicable. And so you could the Belgian farmhouse guys could make beers that were unique but still approachable, mm. even if they didn't fit in a little box. And that really sort of summarized how we wanted to make beer. Did we always want to brew stuff on Belgian yeast? No. We, you know, do I want to make an IPA? Do I want to make a pale ale? Do I want to make a porter or stout? Yes, I want to make all those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but for instance, our pale champion uses a little bit of smoke malt because I love the texture it gives to that beer. And is it going to win a gold medal in the GABF pale ale category? Probably not, because it's not, it doesn't fit that stylistic guideline of pale ale because it has that smoky phenol. So, but I love it, and, I, and it does pretty well for us, and people like it. So mm. uh, we wanted to take that sort of Belgian influence, even if we're not brewing always specifically Belgian-style beers, quote-unquote. Yeah. Um, but that was really important to us, to have that, influence over the way that we approach beer, uh, which is always, I think, two things we always think about when we start working on recipes. The beer has to be unique, but approachable. And, and in that compass of uniqueness, we always want the beer to have that uniqueness be a knife in the back, not a bludgeon. Right? Mm. We don't want to hammer somebody over the head with something. I think a good example of that, we did a hibiscus goza this summer. And uh, it was just perfectly balanced. 
right? It just had just enough hibiscus to make it pink and give it a little bit of herbal character, uh, just enough salt so that you could com- you can perceive it, but it wasn't s- like saline, mm. um, just enough tart to make it crisp, not enough to make your lips pucker. Uh, it was just perfectly balanced, and our brewer, Ben Martin, came up with that recipe, and he just really captured what I felt like was the image of the brand. Unique but approachable, knife in the back, not a bludgeon. Huh. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, and I've, and I've noticed that about your beer when you describe it like that, because I, I want to describe it to people at first as like, oh, it's a Belgian beer. They do a lot of Belgians. But then the more I get into what you all brew, it's not all Belgian. You know, I, I think like um, n- number forty-four that you did. Right. Um, you know, that's a, that's going to be a. Or, uh, one of my favorite lines you said it was the beer you couldn't in a beach. Somebody said that. For what? The, was it forty-four? Mm-hmm. Number forty-four. The, the, the beer that you couldn't impeach or couldn't get rid of, or somebody <laughs> said that. I, I, no, I heard that no, somewhere. no, no, no. Yeah. So. Because right, it was the beer that you couldn't like. Because yeah, cause it, and, can't, it, but that's everybody loved it so much. I right? suppose yeah. that's true. Yes, yeah. I I may have said that in a fit of drunkenness. <laughs> um, <laughs> we uh, one of the in addition to being sort of theology wonks, uh, we're also history nuts. Yeah, and uh, we wanted th- this is something else about the name, the Black Abbey, is that that it gives us. Um, we wanted something that was really reflective of who we were as people. Mm. Uh, that wasn't just a all right. We're go- it's a framework in which uh, we want to be able to build the brand, and so we want the brand always to be reflective of us. It doesn't necessarily, um, you know, have to fit into a square little box. And for instance, the hibiscus goza was called River Running, um, which if if people are, you know, Tolkien people, they'll be able to put that together. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good Hobbit reference, but um, that doesn't necessarily have anything to do with Martin Luther, but it, it, it is reflective of us. We're very much Tolkien readers and uh, acolytes, and I think that that's important uh, that that continues to be reflective of who we are. Mm. Um, but the, the, the POTUS series, when we first started, um, we're like we should, you know, we should do something that's kind of interesting. We had this idea that we would name beers after different presidents of the United States, POTUS. So the mm-hmm. first one we did was POTUS 7, which is Andrew Jackson. Okay. Um, at the time, uh, where my kids were going to school, uh, the development director of the Hermitage, which is Andrew Jackson's ancestral home, um, she, her kids were in class with my kids at school. And so we got to talking, and I was telling her about this thing. And she said, well, you need to come out and meet with us at the Hermitage because uh, it's, uh, so it's his X number anniversary of something or other. And... Uh, so we literally went out there, met with them. I sat in the conference room at the Hermitage with the, it's, it's managed by the like, our ladies of the Hermitage Protection Association or something. And we, we sat in there, the historian and me and the development guys and these ladies. And I literally wrote the recipe for that beer on a napkin in the conference room in Andrew Jackson's house. Wow. It was so great. And they were bringing out like manifests of, uh, there was a general store that was on premise at the Hermitage when he lived there because, you know, they they had a market. It was a functioning farm. Sure. Uh, You know, all of the people who lived there. And so uh, they had a pretty good idea about what was coming and going. Jackson was a big gin drinker. And so they think they were distilling gin on premise. They don't really have proof, but they can't disprove it either. Uh, but you could tell in the manifest it was, you know, bushels of 
corn and bushels of grain, and they're like, this is an awful lot for just making bread or just, you know, uh, they were probably distilling this. And so uh, we made a Belgian-style farmhouse saison that used uh, a little bit of uh, hickory-smoked malt for old hickory. Uh, we used some juniper berries that we literally harvested from a giant old juniper bush on premise on the campus of the Hermitage. Wow. Uh, so just to try to make something that was reflective of Jackson, uh, of his sort of heritage. Um, and so that was the first POTUS beer we did. Uh, the second POTUS beer we did was, was 44, POTUS 44. Um, and the piece behind that was we used, we worked with a coffee shop here in town called Frothy Monkey. And yeah. uh, oh, okay. they did a custom coffee blend for us that used Kenyan and Hawaiian coffee. And so we said that beer was liberally infused with yeah. Kenyan and Hawaiian coffee and had a dazzling personality and a little bit of smoke that won't quit. Um, and so that was just going to be number two. So we did POTUS 7, then we did 44, then we did POTUS 3, which is for Jefferson. And so Jefferson actually had a brewer lived at Monticello. They were making beer at Monticello during and, and after his presidency. Um, but it was mostly based of corn. So we brewed a corn saison. Uh, that was sort of loosely based on an actual recipe that was brewed at Monticello. And so we, we dropped 44, we started brewing POTUS 3, and then there was just sort of outcry that we had dropped the coffee porter. Yeah. And so we brought it back, and the POTUS beers were always designed to be one and done. Like, we were just, unless it was a two-term president, maybe we were going to do them twice. But, <laughs> uh, except, you know, then the FDR beer, right? Like, oh my God. But... But so they were always sort of designed to be a rotating series. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, now all of a sudden we've got this rotating series that we're brewing year-round. And in conjunction with other POTUS beers going into market at the same time. And so this got very confusing uh, for our retail partners as well as our distributor partners. Because, uh. you know, we might be send, you know, we're sending them in. They're on different price points. You know, the guys who are picking the orders in the warehouse see the keg collar that says POTUS, and they don't necessarily look to see POTUS 44 or POTUS 3 or POTUS 7 or POTUS 34, whatever it's going to be. And so that got to be very complicated. And so at that point, we were also getting ready to start canning. We decided that we would graduate POTUS 44 out of the POTUS series, make it an official year-round beer, drop the POTUS off the name and just call it 44, and then we could just put it in cans because the last thing we wanted to do was mess up the grocery chains. Yeah. You know, if our distributor partners are trying to send something to the grocery chains, uh, you know, those grocery guys, it's got to be right. And and um, just because we've come up with this, you know, quirky but confusing naming convention on one of our more popular beers uh, was not a good reason for them to not drop us if it got messed up. <laughs> uh, so we decided to to graduate it up out of the POTUS series because it was now a year-round and packaged brand. Wow. Uh, is, wow. is that one of your top sellers? or Yes. So it's the, a Rose, beer. the Rose it's is our number is. one seller. Uh, That's what I was thinking. Uh, number two is Tide. Uh, it almost always is even, is uh, Five Points, which is our IPA, which is mm -hmm. named after not the geography in East Nashville, <laughs> but the Five Points What's of Calvinism. Calvinism yeah. Um, which apparently there's a new mnemonic to remember the five points of Calvinism. It's uh, bacon, yeah. but I'm sticking with the tulip. Yeah, the tulip's fine. Um, but then, uh, <laughs> so 44 and five points are always tied for yeah. number two. That's awesome. Uh, that's really cool. Do you know if 44 has had 44? 
he, he was in town. He came into town multiple times during his presidency, but one time he actually went to a little Mexican restaurant just up the street here. Uh -huh. um, this is terrible. But uh, so, I mean, they were so excited. Yeah. And so they took a ton of pictures. And so the whole place is full. Yes, I mean, it's just, it's the whole restaurant is just full of pictures of the staff all hugging Barack Obama. Uh -huh. And he's just, so we started calling it Taco Obama. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, I mean, the whole place, you walk in and you're just like, what, does he own this place? Um, but it, it literally, he came and went to a taco shop around the corner from us, but uh, no, he hasn't. We keep waiting for the black choppers, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, the black SUVs pull up out front, the guys come in with the headphones and are just like, we're, you know, we're here for the, you know, let Mr. President sample some of this beer. We're, we're waiting one day. Yeah. One day. Could happen. It could happen one day. Any, any more, uh, uh, Presidents on that coming down the line, or? you know, we haven't done a POTUS beer in quite a while. Um, this past election cycle uh, was very a volatile, volatile. <laughs> little volatile, <laughs> and uh, and and honestly, we get a lot of questions about forty-five. And uh, regardless of your feelings about our current president, his his brother died an alcoholic, uh, yeah. basically died of cirrhosis of the liver, and yeah. that to to name a beer after a guy who doesn't who doesn't drink because his brother died of alcoholism just makes my stomach feel creepy. Yeah. And uh, so we, we've we stepped away from the, uh, I thought that was a full beer that just <laughs> dropped into my laundry. Um, we've stepped away from from that for the time being, but I'm, it's going to come back around. We actually, the, the rotating series of stuff right now is called the Stained Glass series. Nice. Um, we have a uh, we have a twenty barrel brew house, and so we brew in you know forty keg increments. But we have one twenty barrel fermenter that we use specifically for the one off, unique, limited release project beers, and so those are they fall under the stained glass series. Uh, the ones that are over seven percent are considered stained glass omega, or alpha rather, and then the uh, lower than seven percent are considered stained glass omega. Okay, um, and so that's. Right now, that's sort of taken the place in, in a certain respect of the POTUS series. And uh, honestly, it fits our brand a little bit better. I think so. Uh, than the, I can see that. Than the presidential stuff. But we'll come back around. We did a, uh, we've done a number. The one that I really am excited to do is uh, POTUS 8 or 9. It's, it's now been so long, I forget. Uh, William Henry Harrison. Uh, mm. He gave the longest inaugural address in the history of the presidency. He spoke for 120 minutes in January in the rain, uh, and then he died 31 days later. Yes, he wouldn't wear a coat. He caught the flu. Yeah, um, it was nine, right? It's nine. Um, so he, uh, we're going to do a. Uh, he was he was Scottish, and or had some Scotch history, and so we're going to do a Scottish ale. I'll put us nine to a 120 minute boil and do a limited 31 day release. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. But that, if the next one we do, that's going to be it. But uh, I got to let it simmer down a little bit, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's funny. That's really cool. I'm pointing at DJ. Why are you pointing at me for? Um, because I, I thought you had something to ask. No, that, that, something that, very I, you were, I know you were, looked like you were about to say something. We we we're, we're we're professionals here. Yeah, we're we're professionals, and we we never we never run into things like this at all. Oh, 
I mean, I've got a lot to say. You can just I'm, keep, keep talking, man. I mean, I feel like um, after that last, I needed to take a breath for a minute. Yeah, I, I notice. I notice. In addition to theology being a big part and history being a big part of what you guys do, it looks like Iron Maiden and maybe music is a big part of your brand as well, or at least a a personal expression within the brewery that I've seen a lot. Uh, that was either going. Iron Maiden or Billy D. Williams? I wasn't sure what direction you were going with that. <laughs> well, I only saw the Iron Maiden poster when I brought it it's up, but I see Megadeth, Megadeth, Brian Adams. Yeah, I do have a uh, a uh, like Empire Strikes Back era Billy D. Williams Colt forty five sign hanging here in the office. <laughs> oh, awesome. you do? Yeah. Oh my I, gosh! Um, he's yes. wearing a white tux. For um, those of you watching at home, he's wearing a white tux and a red bow tie, and he's opening a giant can of Colt forty five. With a very attractive lady on his arm who looks very much like Claire Huxtable. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it does. Am I right? She looks just like her. Um, it might be her. It might actually be her. Uh, but he looks like a happy man. I'll give him that. He's wearing a white tux with cufflinks. Works every time. That is a, that um, is a dapper Lando right there. I have a, uh, yeah, I have a um, uh, Colt 45 uh, 10 that was given to me that my wife won't, has not let me put up in our downstairs pub. It's Snoop Dogg holding a Colt, Colt 45 advertisement, but um, it was been banished from the Goldfinch Pub. No, so, <laughs> I feel like I feel like it should get a second look. It, it, I think I think so too. I mean, I, I love it, but my wife just, just didn't care for it. It will get up there when she's not paying attention. Well, and you can just tell her, you know, I was just I was at this brewery in Nashville, and they got this light up <laughs> sign hanging in the office. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm, we're we're also uh, moderate hair metal guys. Um, so John is our head brewer, my business partner, and uh, then our third partner, Mike, is a physician. So he's not active in the business day to day, but the three of us meet every Monday. But so John and I here every day. And uh, for a long time, either John or I would do tours on Saturday. And so one of our regulars came in and knowing our propensity for 80s era hair metal, she brought us that rat poster uh, nice. that's hanging over there. And so I, when she brought it in, I tacked it up on the wall. And on Monday, John typically gets here before I do. And so uh, he was sitting in the office when I walked in. And he's, he's like, all right, we need to talk. I said, oh, no. You know, what have I done? <laughs> and he said, this is not your dorm room. <laughs> this is our office. And I, I was like, what are you talking about? Did I leave, like, my underwear around or whatever? And he's like, no, this rat poster. What's up with the rat poster? They look like girls. I was like, dude, one of our regulars brought that in. I had to hang it up. He's like, ah, all right. And it stayed. I mean, it's been there for years. That's right. But yeah, all these actually, all of these Iron Maiden posters did come from my dorm room, actually. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> They're totally my dorm room posters. But still, really cool. That's, that's fun that you can bring that, that side of your personality into the brewery into the business that you're running. We, we really try to incorporate some of that stuff. Our our triple that we did last spring uh, is called Grand Design, uh, which was uh, kind of a head nod to Rush. Uh, okay. Our Oktoberfest is called Chronicles, also a little bit of a head nod to Rush. Uh, so we do try to incorporate some of that stuff into our now, branding. A lot of some, your stuff is like very kind of, you have a concept. Do, do, you do, do you do a lot of that stuff? Like you'll have the concept, like you'll have a name and you'll have like a, a concept for the beer, then you do the recipe? Or do you, do you just have a recipe, then, then that it, recipe brings a name? It depends. Um, that's a really good question, actually. Uh, for instance, Guy Fawkes, uh, the 
our brown ale comes out every year on November 5th because that's Guy Fawkes Day. And uh, when we first moved to Nashville, uh, I worked for United Way, but then I left United Way and I went to work for AmSouth Bank. And so, as you know, bankers get a bad rap because they, they get days off that other people maybe don't, right? They get the federal holidays off. Jerry um, Shelton, if you're listening. Bankers, you know, bankers hours, whatever. <laughs> and so uh, we were closed. Uh, every time we were closed on a, a holiday when, uh, honestly, when daycare was open, I would send the kids to school and I would stay home and brew. And so my assistant and I one day were sitting around in, in the office and we're like, all right, well, what are some other ridiculous holidays that are coming up that we can, we can decide the bank needs to be closed for? And the first one was Guy Fawkes Day. And so we're like, we're going like, to, we're, we're going to, we're going to take it off. So we took Guy Fawkes Day off work because we decided the bank needed to be closed. They weren't, but we were off. And uh, we took the kids to school, and we're like, we're going to brew, a, we're going to brew an English-style brown ale uh, with a little bit of smoke malt so that it, uh, we called it a gunpowder brown. And so we're going, to brew this, uh, we're going to brew this beer on Guy Fawkes Day. And that was sort of the beginning of that. But, so that one, we had a name, but we didn't have a beer. Um, some of them, it's the other way around, where you have a beer and you're like, well, all right, what, uh, what are we going to name this? We've got to come up with a name. Um, but a lot, a lot of times, uh, at least with the core stuff, um, that happened uh, simultaneously. Um, the, our flagship beer, the Rose, our Belgian Blonde, uh, when we were kind of lining up what the opening beers were going to be and putting those recipes together and deciding what we were getting good uh, competition results on and good you know, feedback on tasting notes. Um, we, were, uh, we were very much involved in kind of Luther lore and history, and so we were talking a lot about Luther's crest, which his crest is a, a gold ring on a blue background with a white rose and a red heart in the middle with a black cross on top of it. And so we had decided that we were going to use those components to name beers. Gold ring, blue field, white rose, red heart, black cross. Until we realized we were a purple horseshoe away from Lucky Charms. <laughs> and, uh, that was stupid. Um, and so we scrapped that with the exception of the white rose or the rose, which stayed. And so... Um, of the beers that we had on the table at the time, the one we felt like best fit the rose was this Belgian-style blonde that we were working on. And so that was attached to the moniker uh, rose or white rose. So uh, it, it's interesting how that's kind of developed over time. Uh, 44 was very much, uh, you know, we were, we, it was a friend of mine's idea, actually, where he's like, you should do an Obama beer. And I was like, dude, you're crazy. Like, I... We're, we do religion, we don't do politics. And he's like, no, 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 it should be liberally infused with Kenny and my. It was his joke. I was like, that's funny. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, we were working on a porter recipe for the brewery at the time, and I was like, all right, well, we'll just we'll cold brew some coffee. Actually, I can't remember how we did the original one, if I hot brewed it or what. Um, but I was, serving on the, I was serving on the board of, uh, of a nonprofit here in town, and we had a board retreat which was my first introduction to cold brew coffee. I'd never had cold brew coffee before. Ooh. And uh, it just absolutely melted my brain. It's amazing. It was so great. And, and of course, it, I, I mean, I was basically drinking it straight, so I was... Mm. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it, it really, I was like, this is the most amazing coffee I've ever had. Yeah. And uh, 
so when we got in contact with Frothy, we get to talking about it. And it's like, well, I mean, of course, the, the uh, cold brew process reduces the acid content of the coffee. And the one thing you don't want to do when you're making beer is make your pH too low because it, it starts getting funky and tart and weird. And so you don't want to pump a bunch of real acidic coffee into beer. It changes your pH. So um, we really, we've been, uh, in addition to brewing the coffee cold, uh, we use another uh, Tennessee-based product called Real Water, uh, which is water that is pH adjusted up. So it's an average pH somewhere between 8 and 10 uh, so that it further balances uh, the, the acid content of that coffee. So we want the coffee that's going into the beer to be as close to the beer pH as possible. Mm. And so we're able to do that by manipulating the pH through uh, pH-adjusted water as well as the cold brew process. Wow. That's really cool. If you ever want the hot version of a cold brew, try Chemex. I don't know if you've ever had that or not. Uh-uh. I had some last night, and I think it's the reason I was up late. But <laughs> Is that, that sounds like acid or something. It, <laughs> check, check, I'll, 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 sh- I'll share something with you later. It's C-H-E-M-E-X. Okay. It was developed by a German. Surprise, surprise. Those guys um, are smart. And it's a filtration process that takes out the acidity in coffee, but it does it in a hot process and mm-hmm. takes you know 10 minutes as opposed to 12 hours. Mm-hmm. So, so, something to consider. But anyways, um, something, uh, going back to before I was drawing a blank and deferred to DJ, um, <laughs> um, uh, you, you mentioned you mentioned the um, the stained glass series and the Alpha and the Omega. Um, what beyond that are you are you doing with that series? What What is the actual focus beyond Alpha being the high grab version and Omega being kind of the lower grab? The, uh, the real kind of idea behind the stained glass series was twofold. One, it was an opportunity for us to continue to grow our small batch program that feeds the tap room into something that reaches more into the broad market. Um, Right now, I mean, as you can imagine, a brewery becomes a manufacturing plant. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, when you start as a home brewer, it's all about creativity and it's never the same way twice. And you're, and, and then you get into uh, the manufacturing side of it, and it becomes about marketability, and it's always the same way. Mm-hmm. And so uh, you say, okay, well, we're you know we're making rows, and we're making champion, and we're making five points, and these beers have got to be the same way every single time, mm-hmm. which is great, and our guys do a really good job at that. But at the same time, uh, we ha- we have a little small batch pilot system that we use to feed the tap room, so that our fellowship hall we call it, and so that fellowship hall has always got stuff that's in there that is only available here, but it's only coming in one or two. It's a, I mean, we're running basically a glorified homebrew system. So it's coming in one or two keg increments, <clears throat> which is great, but it's difficult to maintain consistency. And so, and then what happens if we like those beers and we start getting pretty consistent results? Well, if we got to jump from 10 gallons, 15 gallons to 40, 80 half barrel kegs, that's a, that's a big jump. And so uh, we wanted the opportunity to, to have that sort of taproom exclusive feel on a beer that was going out into the broad market. And so that was the beginnings of the idea of the stained glass series was a way to grow our small batch program into something that we could also send a little bit of out into the market. So we've got most of it, stay, a lot of it stays in the taproom uh, to support our kind of taproom guests. And then, the, you know, we'll place some of it out in the market. Yeah, I'll always... Uh, um, see something on Facebook, and I'll mm-hmm. see like a beer releasing, and then it's just tap room only, or or 
or just or just gonna be a limited race release here. Maybe you might bring it back or something. But I, I'm, I'm always really excited when I see that stuff, and then I go, oh, yeah, yeah. And then I always like I drive to Nashville. I, I, exactly. I always text Justine. I was like, can you give me some of that? Is there any way? <laughs> well, so, and, you know, and that's something that's that's really great about our presence in the Knoxville market is that they're always willing to partner with us on at least bringing a couple of things up there. You know, we may, it may not be two pallets of beer. It may just be a couple of kegs. Mm -hmm. uh, but Christina does a really good job of getting into uh, setting up events surrounding that and bringing in that specialty stuff because, you know, there's a, there's an appetite for the unique um, and, and we have the opportunity to provide it, and so we try to. We get to do a, a really great beer with Alliance Brewing Company. Those guys are so great. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're only two minutes and 19 seconds away from my house, but who's counting? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're... Uh, car. Yeah. They're, they've been really fun to work with. When, uh, when we first... Uh, so Christina's our, our East Tennessee rep, and uh, she's been up there just over a year. Uh, but when we first went up there, uh, Adam... Chris was there too, but it was mostly Adam took us around and uh, we got into a lot of mischief. Um, <laughs> With Adam Engel? No, 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 would no, never. No, no. Um, but we I had a lot of fun. A lot of mischief with Adam the, too. So. The Knoxville beer community has yeah. been so open and welcoming. Uh, we've just we've just had such great positive experiences with. It's great to in hear. In addition to Alliance, you know, the guys at Crafty has been so great and. Uh, Hexagon's been wonderful. It's just, it's been really nice to have the opportunity to interact with, um, you know, a brew scene that's, that's close to your hometown, but it's not. Mm -hmm. um, but you invest in that market and you have a staff person that lives there and uh, is very participatory in the Knoxville chapter of the Pink Boots. And it's just, we did a, we did a beer with the Pink Boots, yeah. Knoxville Pink Boots, which was a lot of fun. They oh, came down here and brewed. My wife is the treasurer. Oh, for of the course. But man, not we had to a brag or anything. Not, no, not the brag. I'm just saying I know the relation. Well, man, they came down here, so they came. We're going to brew on a Sunday morning, yeah. right? Because that's well, Sunday afternoon. No, it was morning. It was definitely morning. And so uh, we're like, "Oh, what'd you do last night?" And they said, "Well, we went to France." I'm like, "You went to France? Like France is a place where there's sawdust on the floor." Man, there's only one reason you put sawdust on the floor of a bar, and that's to sop up blood or pee. <laughs> Either way, you don't want to be in there. And I'm like, you went to France? Why? And they're like, we're going to sing karaoke. <laughs> like, carry, you could, how many karaoke bars are in this town? And you went to the scary one. Um, but anyway, they had a good time, and they lived. Uh, so that's, you know, that was positive. Yeah. Pretty cool. Um... What? Deferring to DJ again. You, you, are you just losing track here? Uh, dude, I'm just losing track right now. But, but you know, you've, you've been on top of it. Have I been on top of it? Yeah, yeah. We, we talked theology before before we really started diving into the podcast. I know you're a bit of a theology nerd. Where does that passion come from for you? You know, it's, uh, it, I don't know, it comes from a lot of places. I, we were, uh, I grew up in a, I grew up associate reformed Presbyterian, which uh, is about as frozen as the chosen. Come. Yeah, the frozen chosen. Yeah. <laughs> and, and but you know, my dad is a, you know, is a ruling elder of the church and has been uh, chair of the presbytery for a number of years. And you know, that's just always been a part of my life growing up. Uh, our, John, I met in the homebrew club. Mike, I also I introduced him to the homebrew club because he and I served on the diaconate at church together. And so that has always been an extremely important and. Uh, kind of focal point uh, 
of my life personally. And so, uh, the, again, to, to have a brand that's reflective of who you are as people, uh, I believe really makes it more authentic. Um, you know, we didn't ever want to just say, all right, we're going to be uh, the colors brewery. And so we're going to just name all our beers after different colors. And there's, you know, sort of an infinite possibility. We just name them after crayons, whatever. Uh, but, it, you know, and you could do it, right? You've got a pretty much endless supply of Crayola names. Yeah. Uh, but it just, uh, you know, we wanted it to be something where we could have fun with it and have, have it be like, oh, those guys, you know, like. That's, that's reflective of who they are. And so a big part of who we are uh, is, you know, is an appreciation for music, it's an appreciation for history, um, and it's a, an appreciation for theology and, and our kind of base belief systems. And uh, again, with the knife in the back, not a bludgeon, like this is, um, it's, never, it's never been something where we try to proselytize people or try to you know, this isn't a necessarily some sort of conversion tactic, uh, but we, you know, we we want to be able to walk our walk. As you, you are, and, you who you are, yes, and and we're not shy about it, and we're not embarrassed about it, but we're also not trying to beat you in the face with it. Yeah. Um, we uh, one of one of my absolute favorite things that we do uh, is uh, we partner with an organization based here in Nashville called Beer and Hymns. Yeah, I was, I was about to ask you about that. And oh. uh, they came to us. Uh, it was a couple of guys based out of downtown Prez uh, that were meeting in a local bar, and they were getting together and singing hymns. And uh, very quickly got too big for the bar where they were, and we had just opened, and so they approached us. I don't know how they found out about us, but they sent a Facebook message in, and uh Asked if we would host it. I mean, it would be kind of cool seeing, to sing Mighty Fortress while drinking a Mighty Fortress. Listen, man, yeah, I, <laughs> I, don't, don't give away my punchline of the story. <laughs> um, but, uh, but so we, um, so I said, you know, you guys can come in. We'll host it here. He did. Yeah, that's, yeah. His, yeah, his, most, yeah, that's his most famous hymn. Um, Sorry, I'm singing in my head. But so we said, yes, you can come in. So uh, it's a ticketed event. Mm. And... Uh, about a week before the actual event, it sold out. So I had to hire a bouncer to make sure that people didn't come in <laughs> to the hymn sing hymn at the sing. brewery. Right? So it was wildly successful. And, and they said, hey, uh, we want to move this to Mercy Lounge, which is a, which is a venue, which is a rock venue here in town. And uh, I said, dude, you are crazy. You, it's too big. It's the max capacity at Mercy, I think, is 400 people, something like that. I was like, man, it's a big jump from 75 people to 400 people. And he said, well, yeah, we're going to do it. Okay. And so uh, St. Patrick's Day will be our 12th time doing beer and hymns at Mercy. We've sold out Mercy Lounge five times, six wow. times. It's crazy. And... And the thing about it, the very first one we did, I remember, I mean, it, it was probably 250 people. So we went from the brewery, where it was maybe slightly more than 75 people in here, to Mercy, where it was 250 people. And I'm, like, standing out in the crowd, and they're singing, and I hear, like, people talking. And one lady says to another lady, I don't go to church anymore because I don't want to be preached at. But I love these old songs. And I thought to myself, if you're singing these old songs, you don't need to be preached at. 
you are preaching it yourself. If you were stand, I mean, you want to talk about, I mean, I'm, I get chills just thinking about it. Like, you start talking about some of those, and none of the, it's 100-year-old hymns. Yeah. We're talking about um, It Is Well With My Soul and, like, yeah. the, the just rich theology that is embedded in those words. You just can't do any better than that. And, and for us, again, it's something that it's, it's not something where we're, like, standing out on the street, handing out friggin' pamphlets trying to get people to go. But people will come and they'll drink some beers and it loosens your inhibitions just enough that you're willing to get yourself involved. And it actually, it's, it's really, it's changed the way that my family worships. Like, we switched churches because I would go on a, whatever, I'd go on a Saturday night, drink my face off and sing hymns. And then Sunday morning, we'd be in a, like a big church congregation community set, communi communion setting where it's an organ-driven worship service. It just fell flat for me. It just didn't feel participatory enough. And, you know, and, and I've never been a, uh, I mean, like I say, we're frozen chosen. We don't do charismatic, uh, the, what I used to jokingly refer to as the REO Speedwagon worship service <laughs> yeah. is like not what we do. Like that's never been a part of our culture, my, our family culture, but uh the, in, the engagement and the energy and the power of that group sing is absolutely unhinging. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, and, and to be a part of that, that's obviously I'm excited about the beer and him stuff. We're doing one on St. Yeah. Patrick's Day at Mercy is our, is our next. Awesome. Uh, you want to talk, talk about a town that's about to come unglued? St. Patrick's Day in Nashville. SEC basketball, or SEC, the NCAA basketball tournament is in town. On the 16th, Friday the 16th, basketball games all day. Saturday the 17th, St. Patrick's Day. Sunday the 18th, more basketball. Yeah. Whew. This town is going to be crazy. <laughs> That's, yeah. It's going to be crazy. Um, but, and then in the middle of it, beer and hymns. Now have you, so have cool. you got any pushback from any churches or any places and, and, or anything for... The, the association, because, no. I, mean, I mean, Southern culture. No, uh, we, uh, it's, it's been interesting in that because it's not something that we push through that channel. Yeah. Like, we push, you know, we promote beer and hymns through beer. Uh, I don't necessarily promote beer and hymns through uh, the church side. Uh, we did one down in Franklin. We did one at a, at a pub down in Franklin called Buggin' Up Pig. And uh, when we were, we were down there for the first, we did maybe two or three at Bunganut. Um, but the first time we did that at Bunganut, I remember I was, I was standing behind this lady and she, I, she leaned back to talk to her husband. We were singing, it was right around Easter, and we were singing Up From the Grave He Arose, right? And so everybody was standing up with their beers in the air and we're stamping our feet on the floor and uh, up from the grave he arose, right? It's just like, you know, invigorating pub singing. Yeah, and this lady leans back and she says, "I'm not sure we should be doing this." Mm. And and I heard her, and so I I leaned down close where both her and her husband could hear me, and I said, "What else would make you do this?" 
<laughs> right? Like, what other message than yeah. up from the grave he arose, a resounding triumph for his foes, he arose a victor from the dark domain, right? Like, what else would make you get up out of your chair and stomp your feet on the floor and spill beer on the person in front of you because you're pumping your fist with your pint in the air, right? What else could make you do that? And she didn't have a good answer, so she got up out of her chair and sang that song like her life depended on it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Right? You want to talk about a powerful, like, I don't know, I'm, is that some conversion moment? I don't know. It was what it was for me. But it was powerful for her. It, I, I hope Clearly, so. It impacted it, her. And it was, I mean, it was just great. Like, that for me is sort of the summary of what Beer and Hymns is about. So do we ever get a little blowback on it? I mean, I think some people make fun of it uh, because it, it obviously has a uh, religious connection. But I think also... This is sort of the beauty of the Nashville beer scene is that everybody's got their own little personality. So everybody sort of does their own little thing. And, uh, you know, part of our thing is beer and hymns. Another part of our thing is Iron Maiden. And, <laughs> and it, you know, and it, it doesn't necessarily have to be mutually exclusive. Yeah. Like that is all tied up within us as people. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's great. You know, we, uh, <laughs> Anthrax is coming to play Nashville on February 5th. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're doing a pre-party over at Marathon Music Works where we've brewed some anthrax-themed beers. I've been telling everybody, I was like, I can't wait to start telling people that we're brewing beers with anthrax. <laughs> <laughs> some people are going to be like, dope, that's awesome. And other people are going to be like, they're with ISIS. They're trying to kill us. Um, but anyway, we've brewed some anthrax-themed beers uh, that we'll be pouring at Marathon on the, on the 5th uh, before the anthrax show. Uh, with Kill Switch Engage and Kill Havoc. Wow. Uh, which is going to be fun, but that's just, yeah. you know, whatever. It's just sort of part of who we are, and uh, we're not embarrassed about it. It just, it just, you can coexist, you know. If people are, humans are complex, and uh, as, a, as a Calvinist, I, you know, I, I believe that people are, are broken, and that uh, part of that brokenness is how we were made. And, you know, you, you repent and you ask for forgiveness, but you're also, you're beautiful in the way that you are. And, uh, you know, we try to respect that and by letting our brand reflect who we are. Yeah. Well, and I, th- I think that's one of the beauties of, I mean, the beer, craft beer scene in general, right? Like, just that self-expression comes out so much in so many different breweries that we talk to, so many different places that we talk to. I mean, Nashville, definitely. I mean, we see it in Knoxville, too, with everybody from Crafty Bastard to Alliance, as we talked about earlier. Um, right. And just that um, that diversity that's there, I mean, that's what we love about it. I mean, yeah. just like we like Iron Maiden or, you know, the Shins or, you know, whatever indie band you love, it's just that self-expression and that, that heart of who they are. You, you, you're drawn to something about that brand, that, right. that business that you really enjoy. So yeah. It's stories and personality, and I think a lot of that is, I mean, that's what people are drawn to. You know, it's, yeah. We're not making Crest toothpaste, right? Like People yeah. buy Crest toothpaste because that's what their dad buys. I don't know why ever you buy Crest toothpaste is what I buy, but yeah. um, people make their decisions on what beer they're going to buy, not just on... You know what the beer tastes like, but also on the story that surrounds it. And I mean, yeah. when when Black Abbey came into the um, East Tennessee market, I think I may have had the Rose and the Champion, and um, never really thought anything about it. And I thought I never thought anything about the names. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that was just really great beer, Black Abbey, Belgian Connection or something. 
I didn't really know the story. Then I saw the five points IPA. I'm like, something was like, oh, I saw the five, five points IPA and the tulip on the on the can. I'm like, oh, there's there's a religious religious connection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I started reading about it, and then I was drawn to the brewery even more because um, I'm a Calvinist myself, and so I was like, then because I, I love Reformation Brewing Company. There's a couple, there's a other couple other kind of Reformation um, theme breweries in the uh, around the southeast and or around the country, and so it was like. That made me even like I, I. Not only did I had a beer connection, I another had another personal connection. Mm-hmm. So which which made, made my kind of um, enjoyment of the beer even. Yeah, more. And it's yeah. it's funny. I I teased this before, but I didn't finish the story. The, the the other cool thing about beer and hymns is that they do try to incorporate some elements of popular culture into the way that they present that stuff. And so mm-hmm. uh, the way that we've been doing this lately is. Uh, They'll come back, like, it's usually broken up into two or three sets, and so they usually come back from a set break, and they'll start by singing Bohemian Rhapsody, <laughs> and they roll that into Mighty Fortress, uh, which is hilarious. <laughs> it's hilarious. I really um, want to hear that turn. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's the greatest. I, the, the best one, and this, I, well, the best one in my opinion, because I thought of it, I don't know whether it was really a good one, but it felt like it was to me. It was, again, it was that one that we did right around Easter. We may do it at the St. Pat- Patrick's one. Um, uh, we sang the, uh, oh gosh, what's it called? Sometimes it causes me to tremble. Were you there? Were you there oh, okay, when you crucified my Lord, right? Oh. And so, like, oh, okay. really, like, moving sad, powerful song. And so uh, after the were you there when they laid him in the tomb verse, I suggested against their better judgment, they did it. They went into the uh, minor key, remember the Titans version of na 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 hey, 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 hey goodbye. Um, and so <laughs> they started singing it. And some of the people in the place didn't sing, and other people laughed sort of uncomfortably, and then some people sang it, and then in that like minor key, just like at the end of that movie, and then they went right into, uh, were you there when he rose up, from, you know, and it got loud, and it got like electric, and like I saw some ladies start crying, it was great, and they're like, all right, yeah, okay, maybe that okay. <laughs> Maybe that worked. That's great. Yeah, but that's, you know, to, to incorporate that sort of mixed bag of, you know, we're not just going to, you know, we're not just going to sing these hymns. We're going to incorporate a little bit of, you know, pop into this, too. It, it, it brings people along. Well, and that's, and that's really cool, too, to hear you say that because I know a lot of the old hymns, um, especially the ones from the early 1900s, were um, adapted to popular show songs and bar songs of the time. So to right. do that, I mean, truly is in the tradition of yes. what Christians were actually doing in the early 1900s yes. to reach it, folks in bars. It's funny that we were talking about this as it related specifically to Mighty Fortress because the the thing about Fortress is everybody thought, it, it, I've read a lot about it and it's, it's really questionable whether or not it's true, but uh, that the idea was that Luther adapted the lyrics for Mighty Fortress were to a German drinking song. Uh, I think that's probably not true. Mm. Uh, but man, it's a great story. 
Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, I mean, especially after a few pints, it's a yeah, good story. So, I mean, you know, Luther was a <laughs> Luther was a beer drinker. Yes, yeah. you know, he yeah. was a uh, you know he he those, was uh, what those who consume more uh, beer sleep more. Those who sleep more sin less. Yes, I mean and that's <laughs> the Luther quote. Yes, and, and you know he was a you know he enjoyed beer. I mean, he would joke with his pals. He had a giant stein that had three rings, and the top ring. Uh, represented uh, the Ten Commandments, the middle ring represented the Lord's Prayer, and the bottom ring represented the Apostles' Creed. And so he would he would drink, he would joke that he could drink through all three rings in one swallow, but that none of his pals could get past the first ring. And so they would try, and they couldn't. And he would say, "See, you are still under the law." <laughs> <laughs> Which I love the great reformed humor. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, man. Awesome. So um, tell us about the, we've, we haven't touched on it some, but the fellowship hall where, where sure. you guys are at. Like, I mean, you said you did the beer and hymns, but what other events do you have going yeah. on and what kind of stuff do you guys do um, here? Our tap room is in the manufacturing plant. It's, we call it fellowship hall. Um, it's designed to sort of be a cross between a German beer hall and a monastery chapter house. Mm -hmm. And so we do have, you know, some old church pendulum lights that hang in there. Um, big archways but it's not uh there's no other sort of overt relig religious demology if that's a word um but uh we're open seven days a week uh so our tap rooms open all the time people come in drink beer we have food trucks with some regularity uh, but we like to do events in here at least once a month and in in february we've got two uh that are big um We've always aged beer in barrels. We always liked barrel aging even when we were homebrewers. Uh, the first best in show medal that we ever won as homebrewers was with a Jack Daniels barrel aged beer. Although I probably shouldn't have said that because <laughs> that was back when you could go down to Lynchburg and buy a Jack Daniels yeah. barrel at the general huh. store. Uh, you know, nowadays, man, if, if you say something was Jack Daniels barrel aged, boy, you, you better have their sign off on it because yeah. <laughs> um, they're very litigious. But when it, this this was a long time ago. The statute. If we of need to edit it out. Just let me know. <laughs> no, no, I'm sure the statute of limitations on this was long gone. Um, Joe, you're a lawyer. You can answer that for us. But uh, we never sold it. We were just homebrewers. Anyway, so um, <laughs> homebrewers. Okay. But yeah. it, so we've always uh, loved aging beer in barrels. And so when we started the brewery, we almost immediately started putting beer into barrels. Um, when we were getting ready to get started, it was 44. Actually, I had some at home, and we we're brewing it. And so I drove down to the tap room at Corsair, which is a local distillery here in town. Mm -hmm. And so I came in and I said, look, I'm a home brewer. We're getting ready to start a brewery, whatever. I get to talk to Emily, who's the tap room manager down there. And she's like, look, I hear this all the time. Yes, you can have a barrel. You can have one. But you, this is on one condition, is that whatever comes out of that barrel, you got to bring it back here and let me try it. So that's fair. And so she gave me a 15-gallon barrel, and I brought it home, and we aged some beer in it. Um, and literally, then we started the brewery. And so uh, now I'm going back down there because at the time they were bringing in a lot of guest taps in their little beer tap room. And so I'm down there selling them beer. And so I come back in with a growler of that Corsair barrel-aged beer. And I said, do you remember when you gave me that barrel? And I brought the beer back. And she's like, no shit. You, somebody finally brought it back. <laughs> <laughs> so she brings the guys out of the back and she's like, you brought some of this. So we sit around and we're, so we're drinking this barrel aged beer and they loved it. And so yeah. they're like, this is so great. We're so glad you guys are getting open. Yes, we'll pick your beer up. And uh, 
if you want to do some other barrel aging stuff, just let us know. And so, you know, I took a couple barrels here, a couple barrels there, and then, you know, next thing we know, you know, we got a, we got a bunch of barrel-aged beer and kegs in, in the cooler. And so Ben, uh, who is our, one of our brewers, was like, hey, man, um, this stuff's piling up. We should probably do something with it. I'm like, yeah, that's probably a good idea. Um, <laughs> maybe we'll just run it through the tap room. And he's like, no, you know, maybe we should have an event. We should do, like, an event. Um, you know, in February when it's kind of slow and people are breaking their New Year's resolutions, you know, maybe we do like a Groundhog Day event or something. And so we get, whatever, we get talking about it and we're like, well, there's, whatever, six more weeks of winter and let's just do eight more beers of winter because we had eight taps yeah. at the time. And so... Groundhog Day, another uh, day to take off. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So we're like, all right, we're going to do this event. And so we publicized it as eight more beers of winter and we're going to do all this barrel-aged beer. And uh, <laughs> we opened the door and we got annihilated. Like, I mean, overwhelmed. We weren't staffed appropriately. Literally, my pastor was here bussing glasses like it was completely out of control. <laughs> and uh, after it was over, um, we are like, okay, that, I mean, that was a lot of fun. We need to do that again. Uh, so let's actually, let's, you know, maybe think about it and plan it ahead of time. Um, and so that was... We've been this year is the fifth year that we'll be doing eight more beers in winter. The first Saturday of February, so February third, uh, from twelve to eight, uh, we're gonna have twelve taps of barrel aged beer all day, changes all day, mostly um, Corsair. Uh, we're gonna be tapping the elusive Lorica, which is our uh, Jameson barrel aged nice. uh, Belgian double. Uh, we've got a couple other projects. Uh, there's an Eagle Rare barrel in there. There's a Blanton's mm. barrel, a couple wow. other things. Uh, but so that's February 3rd, and then uh, at the end of February, much the same story, we did this last year, uh, my daughter was a Girl Scout, and so she needed to sell some cookies. So uh, <laughs> we were like, oh, well, you know, whatever, we'll sell them at the brewery. Maybe we'll do like a cookie pairing or something. And so uh, we decided we'd do a Girl Scout cookie and beer pairing, um, and that, uh, so my youngest is eight, and so she missed or doesn't remember a lot of the brewing at home because she was too little. Um, and so I was sort of, you know, she doesn't like that the other ones remember that, but she doesn't. And so we said, oh, we'll just, you know, we'll come in and you and I will brew a beer that we can pair with these cookies. And uh, so I took a picture of her helping me mash in. She was in her uniform, and I used it on the <laughs> Facebook event. How'd that go Yeah, over? They, didn't, they didn't love that. <laughs> no, they sure didn't. They sure hated that. And... Uh, so we got a little sideways uh, with that organization uh, for a little while, uh, but we did the event anyway, and uh, it was wildly successful. And so uh, we we decided we were going to do it again this year. And so I've been a little more, more diplomatic about how we advertise it um, <laughs> without using any sort of copyrighted, branded, uh, federally protected materials. Um, <laughs> But it's, it's, it's funny, we're, we're pairing the cookies. Uh, we structure it just the same way we do our normal flights. We just do a flight of four uh, beers and a flight of uh, four cookies. They come together. It's 10 bucks, so it's not cheap. We're, you know, we're giving the cookies away and selling the beer. Um, but it's a lot of fun, and it's, yeah. it's an opportunity for folks that otherwise you know, may not be totally into going to a brewery or being craft-centric, you know, Girl Scout cookies are like crack cocaine. I mean, yes. when that stuff comes out, people lose their minds. Yeah. And uh, so it's a lot of fun. Well, I'm sure we'll probably have a food truck that comes. Uh, Samoa, right? Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. 
uh, February 24th. So it's the last Saturday of February. Uh, February oh, 24th is the Girl Scout cookie and beer pairing. So you're, you're moving up in our um, podcast release schedule just by telling me all this. <laughs> I, just, I just want you to know, we want to make sure people know this stuff is going on. That's, that's, awesome. that's really awesome. That's really exciting. Um, I hear there's a bus coming from Knoxville as well, I think, for the February. Uh, you said 8th, is that right? The, uh, uh, the Eight More Beers of Winter is on February 3rd. February 3rd, yes, yeah. I think, there's I think uh, so. Yeah, the, um, uh, Zach's outfit is running a bus down here. Um, it's a day trip. They're coming down. They're going to the Gulch, hitting a couple of beer bars down there. They're coming here right at noon. Uh, then they're going to dinner and rolling back. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, it's not it's it's Knox Brew Tours Zach, but it's um, what's the name Epic? of his new th- Epic? Epic. Thank that's you. It. Epic, Epic with yeah. a K. Yeah. yeah, it's his uh new new line of um, yep. travel. Yeah. So yeah. um, now the are you going to be doing some big events for the Craft Brewers Conference? Craft Brewers Conference, which is the biggest event that our industry has, a big trade show and, and convention, happens in Nashville for the first time the last day of Ooh. April and first week of May. So April 29th through May 3rd or 4th, something like that. Um, our, we're going to have extended taproom hours and food trucks and all that stuff. Uh, we also have got a couple of collaboration projects uh, with a couple of breweries lined up. I haven't signed all the papers yet, so I can't really announce what they are. Uh, but we've got a couple of collabs that are lined up that we'll do events launching those uh, when those happen. Nice. Um, I, I told my wife just two nights ago, it's like, I, first off, don't expect to see me during that week. Uh, and, <laughs> and second off, I'm like, I'm not sure I'm even going to the conference. Like, I may just stay here yeah. because uh, I, I expect the tap room is going to be pretty busy. Um, but it's a good opportunity for us to showcase our brand in front of a national audience. Huge. Because uh, distributors and other breweries and suppliers and vendors are coming from all over the country uh, to Nashville. And um, I, I think that a lot, of, you know, a lot of our breweries are similar setups to ours where you know, we've got a pretty decent-sized manufacturing plant, but we've got relatively small tap rooms. Um, it's it's going to get crazy real fast. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure how that's all going to work out. But it, <laughs> it's going to be fun. It's going to be crowded. And it's going to be crazy. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, as far as the specific events go, um, I don't have a firm date on it. But one of those nights, we're going to be at Martin's Barbecue downtown. Uh, a couple of guys that work there are in a local metal band called Denman. Um, and they're like 80s era Metallica thrash. Like, they're great. <laughs> and uh, they've been wanting to play on the stage in the upstairs beer garden at Martin's for a long time, and I think we finally got Pat on board. Because uh, Pat Martin, I don't know if, if you all have gone to Martin's Barbecue. If you have not, you should go check it out. Uh, if for no other reason than, than Pat Martin, like me, has got a real soft spot in his heart for the 80s hair metal. And so uh, <laughs> their brand is very much like traditional barbecue. So you go in there, and you're going to get... On the juke is going to be, you know, Waylon Jennings and Jerry Reed, and it's like old school country. Then just like they'll sneak in a little Black Sabbath <laughs> or a little Judas Priest. It'll just come in, and you'll be like, and it ha- it seems to happen whenever I walk in. I'm just sitting there, and I'm, you know, it's, you know, tonight the bottle let me down. Slides right into Iron Maiden's Alexander the Great. I'm like, Alexander the Great. Like this is a 12 minute opus. <laughs> Funny. That's great. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, well, 
last question for you. Okay. Unless DJ, unless you've got anything else I'm pending good. on I'm your good. mind. Um, last question for you, Carl. What's in your beer fridge at home right now? Um, that's a good question. Uh, the beer fridge at home is an interesting concept. Uh, because unlike most civilized human beings, I do my drinking at work. Uh, so my beer fridge, yeah, uh, my beer fridge at home, I would say, has got probably two beers in it right now. Well, two specific things. I've got a nine-year vertical of Sierra Nevada Bigfoot. And then uh, there's probably, I drank a lot of the, what was in there right which wasn't very much uh, at New Year's, uh, but I know that there's a, I know there's a can of Champion in there because I, I put it in a coaster or a koozie that uh, somebody sent me as a sample. Um, but honestly, what I have at home is usually spirits. Uh, I don't okay. drink very much at home. Uh, by the by, the time I get home, it's either too late to be fussing with it, or I've got other stuff to do, and so I don't ever really get into it, but um, I like gin. I guess I'm like Andrew Jackson that way. I'm sort of a gin drinker, so yeah. uh, I really like Bristow gin. I like Corsair gin. Um, just that nice, dry, yeah. spicy, but not overwhelming. I was about to say, when you brought up Corsair earlier, um, I'm, a, I'm kind of tired of, and I may have mentioned this to DJ or on the podcast before, I'm kind of tired of barrel-aged beers. Not barrel-aged, let me rephrase that. Bourbon barrel-aged beers right. have just kind of worn on me because they're all kind of taste the same after a while. They're all really rich. They're all really sweet. Mm-hmm. That's not true. There's a lot of different types of bourbon out there and a lot of different flavors. And I'm a huge bourbon fan. Right. But I have loved, like, the first time I had a Corsair barrel-aged beer was mm-hmm. actually at Crafty Bastard. And I love the fact that they were willing to do something in a gin barrel. Right. As opposed to a, um, as opposed to a bourbon barrel. Not to yep. say that... Bourbon barrel aged beer is bad. I yeah. do like it still, but it just it's worn on me, kind of like you know IPAs or other right. other types of beers that are really popular. And I, I just love that differentiation of the Corsair and everything. Back in the back in the fall, uh, we participated in uh, in something called Jameson Drinking Buddies, and so we're one of seventeen breweries in the United States that were selected by Jameson Irish Whiskey. Wow! To age beer in their barrels. And then launch it at a big old party in Brooklyn. And so uh, they sent us the barrels. When they got here, I was very disappointed because they were all stamped wild turkey. And so I called them and I said, I don't understand what the hell's going on here. And uh, of course, this shows my like radical ignorance. Uh, Irish whiskey is not bound by the same rules yeah. as Tennessee whiskey or Kentucky bourbon. They can use yep. non-virgin oak. So they're buying all those barrels from Kentucky, shipping exactly them to Ireland, right. and putting JMO in them, right? So, yep. yeah, right. And so those barrels, when they, uh, no, well, <laughs> it's sorry. okay. No, it's fine. <laughs> Got a phone call coming for you. Um, <laughs> can you please hold? I'm on the. Yeah, yeah no, that's it's Jack Daniel calling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're mad about that barrel aged beer from 1999. Um, but uh, so anyway, the uh, That's too funny. Uh, those when we so when w- Jameson gave us free reign to put whatever in those barrels we wanted to, and so uh, when we sat down with those guys and sort of sampled what the you know 
we had to sample the whiskey to make sure it was okay. Uh, and then sort of paired it with the beers and thought about what it would taste like. And uh, they said, the one thing that we'll encourage you to do is to put a beer in these barrels that is representative of your brand. Like we want this beer to represent who Black Abbey is and how they partner with Jameson. And so we decided to use the special, which is our Belgian double. And so we put the special into the Jameson barrels and we only let it ride for about 60 days. And our objective with barrel aging beer has always been balance. Uh, it hasn't ever been like, let's overwhelm you with the oak and the vanilla. And like you said, those sort of rich bourbony, uh, oaky characteristics. Like we still want that beer to be really balanced. And so we rolled special into those barrels and, uh, you know, those barrels held bourbon for X number of years, and then they held Jameson for X number of Like, they were old, and they were cranky, and some of them leaked, and it was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. Literally, I would come in every day, and those barrels sat kind of over there near the door, and I would walk in, and I would put my hands on them, and I would say, Dear Lord, please don't let this beer go bad. That went on for, for 60 days. Like, I'm like Noah, right? Like, I'm praying over these barrels. Oh, gosh. And, uh, and so then Gary, who was at, Gary is over the Caskmates program uh, and is, is from County Cork, I believe. But he called one day, and, or we were talking, and I said, uh, you know, if you named it yet? And I said, no. We need to name it. And uh, I said, can you give me some good Gaelic words? And he said, well, I, I can't speak Gaelic. <laughs> like you're Irish, you have one job, and that is to give me Gaelic <laughs> words. And so, you know, nothing. So, uh, so we're trying to name the beer, and so I started doing a lot of reading about St. Patrick. And, uh, you know, St. Patrick, when he was dispatched onto the, uh, the legend has it, is he's dispatched onto the island of Ireland to drive out the snakes or whatever it was he was doing. Um, prayed a prayer for protection for the Irish people and for himself, uh, which is called the Lorica of St. Patrick. And so uh, based on uh, this prayer for protection, we thought we would name that beer Lorica. Uh. And so we made cool tap handles, and we decided it was going to be named Lorica. And so we bring it up front, and we tap it in the tap room, and I screw the tap handle on, and Andrew, who's our tap room manager, who's 25 years old, looks at the tap handle, he says, oh, Lorica, that's Gaelic for prayer. <laughs> so I called Gary in Ireland, and I was like, my 25-year-old taproom manager from Missouri knew a Gaelic word, and you did not. You should be ashamed of yourself as an Irishman. And he's never going to live that down. Uh, but so anyway, uh, the, the great thing about Lorica and that sort of Jameson barrel-aging project is that I think it really showcases the ability that barrel-aged beers have to still be balanced and unique in a world where the barrel-aged beer, at least for the general public, is dominated by Kentucky bourbon barrel-aged, you know, the, yes. uh, that Altec beer, which I think is fine. Like, I've got, I've got no beef with Altec. I think they make a high-quality product. But it definitely carries that barrel-y, vanilla, sweetie character uh, that a lot of people like, but is also a little bit overwhelming. Um, yeah. Um, Fun, 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 quick story. I actually, um, when I first went to Lexington, Kentucky, my first visit mm -hmm. up there, I was in a corporate um, program through a company called Windstream Communications, okay. and we went to the tap room at Alltech yeah. 
at their corporate headquarters and met the owner mm-hmm. who actually talked about it. And he's Irish. Uh-huh. And the tap room at Alltech is um, all wallpapered in old newspapers from Ireland. Nice. He and his wife have mm-hmm. actually done that up as, you know, kind of their memories of Ireland and their history. And they actually said they chose Lexington as a result of um, the fact that it reminded them of Ireland. It's just a beautiful area, beautiful mm-hmm. country out there. And, and yeah, the, the bourbon barrel, yeah, I get you there. But yeah. you mentioned Alltech, so that, that brought mm-hmm. that up memory up. But, yeah, that's yeah. cool. I mean, they're making great beer. I, it certainly sells like crazy. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I can, I can see where um, – you know, many different takes on a similar mm-hmm. style can have a, you know, can can lead to palate fatigue in a certain direction. It's I, that's what I was like about eight more beers of winter is that the the differentiation that Corsair can lend from you know, well, we're going to make you know, I mean, last year we did we used a couple barrels that were one hundred percent black walnut smoked malt whiskeys, so the the beer that ended up coming out of those barrels had such a unique smoke quality because it was all smoked over some single, single. It was single malt, single uh, wood smoked whiskey. I mean, it's what they they ended up. They did it was five different wood smoked whiskeys: pecan and black walnut and maple and whatever two others. And then they blended it into a blended smoked whiskey called Medusa, which if you get a chance to check out, is quite good. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah. yeah, they're fun. Corsair's a lot of fun to work with. Yeah, yeah. All that to say, Corsair's fun. And <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. That's <laughs> no, no. I love it. That's awesome. I love that story. There's so much color and background there. That's so cool. Um, well, Carl, thank you so much um, no I'm for sorry being I on the podcast, so dude. No, no, this is what we want. <laughs> exactly, this is what we, people we, will listen we, to us for. We have a podcast where the main thing is talking. Yeah, okay, good. that's good. People, that's good. people <laughs> listen to us because they want to hear talking, talking. not because yeah. they want to hear singing or song or and dance from DJ. Yes. Who's ne- got the next question? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. So, um, anyways, with that said, um, thank you so much again um, for being on. Um, where can people find? Black Abbey um, in stores, and then um, where can people find you online? How can people reach out to you if they want to learn more about the beers that you guys brew? Um, Our website is called blackabbeybrewing.com, all one word, blackabbeybrewing.com. Twitter handle is blackabbeybrew, same for Instagram. Uh, We're on the Facebook at, I don't know, I mean, if you go onto Facebook and type in Black Abbey Brewing, it'll bring you to us. Yeah. Uh, So those are sort of the social media channels. Um, as far as where you can find us, uh, your finer craft brew, craft beer retailers, uh, uh, in g- given that y'all are Knoxville based in the Knoxville area, uh, the casual pints all do a great job of supporting us both in cans and as, as well as draft, uh, Trader Joe's runs a fair bit of our beer out there, um, in, in cans, uh, the, I would say the usual suspect places where you gear, go to get good beer. Beer sure. beer market carries, carries it quite regularly. Uh, Pretentious does a great job for our brand. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of good places to go and drink beer in Knoxville. Great, great. Well, thank you. Thank you, Carl. Um, and with that said, this has been Chris Hill. Good DJ Loop. And remember to stay humble. And try new beer. All right. Thank you. Bye. I'm halfway down in the bottom of a bottle and I ain't gonna change my way.